Good evening. Good evening. We are finally together once again. Friday night. We're missing Matt. He's not feeling very well, so if you're listening, you can pray for him. He's, he's got it. himself a sinus bug. I think he's fake. He needs a neti pot in his life. He needs a neti Matt, pot in his life. Matt, you need a neti pot. Don't kick he against lessons. the pricks, Matt. I'm a, I'm a buy him. I'm a buy him a neti pot. And and Jill did say she would pay money to watch him use That's it. That's right. Absolutely. We'll go viral. <laughs> he's already viral it's our first live youtube video yes. it's matt using the neti pot hey that's a great idea and we all praying over him hands on that's right yeah do it what are we talking about we are picking up our series on divine healing that's what matt needs that's what he needs <laughs> <laughs> so we will pray for him but it's god's will Right. And that's something that Are we will... Are you saying I cannot declare Matt to be better? You cannot declare it. You don't have the authority. However... Buddy, I have lots of authority you don't know about. <laughs> oh. Yeah. However, um, we can definitely pray for Matt, and we can pray for anybody. But that's sort of something that we're going to talk about later on in the series. Uh, we'll eventually get to that. But we're still talking about the kingdom because... And if you hear Jamie in the background, that's my boy. He's a grumpy. You need to rebuke that crying, tonight, buddy. You need so to rebuke it. Pray for him, too. Okay? <laughs> you hurt his foot. Yeah, that's what happens with Legos. Gotta watch out for those Legos, man. That's right. But okay, we're, are we talking about? we're talking about the kingdom, theocracy, as it pertains to healing and tongues and prophecy these gifts that we as a congregation believe that have been temporarily postponed until the rapture happens. So we need to discuss the kingdom and what it means. Last time we had a lesson in this series, we talked about different types of cessationism. So the different views, uh, I'm not what you would call a classic cessationist. A classic cessationist basically believes that all the gifts have ceased and they will not be started up again. So they're gone. And the next thing that happens is Jesus comes back, heaven, hell, judgment, boom, it's done. Um, that's no tribulation, very, no king, no, no millennium, none of that. Absolutely. So that's very big part of the Reformed Presbyterian community. That's their view of cessationism. And huh. I would agree with their argument as far as they say that the apostles and the prophets have ceased. And so we shouldn't expect these same miracles to be occurring today. So I agree with that. However, I think that the other cessationist view... The dispensational one is even more powerful because it gives two reasons why the gifts have ceased. And those reasons are as follows. One, there are no more apostles and prophets. Yes. So those special gifts were given for that time when people with special authority inspired by the Holy Spirit were around. We don't have those people around today. There's the some billboards on 285 that would argue that point. With you, I know, but I disregard mm. the billboard and I give my regard to the Bible, but... Um, the apostles and the prophets were the foundation. So that's the first argument. The second argument is that the kingdom was being offered to the Jews in the first century. And that's why the gifts were present then, because they pertain to the kingdom, as we'll see. Now, since the kingdom is not being offered to the Jews right now, we shouldn't expect those same gifts. It's just another reason not to expect them. However, when the rapture happens and God takes up once again his special purpose for the nation of Israel. Mm. The kingdom will be offered once again. Ask, is that kingdom offer 2.0? Yes, absolutely. Pentecost will be fully fulfilled. So the Joel 2 experience that began 
in the Acts period, during a period when they are still preaching the kingdom to Israel, that is going to happen again in the tribulation. So the Spirit's going to be poured out upon the people of Israel. They will prophesy. They will dream dreams and have visions. Um, and I have no doubt that other supernatural gifts will be given to them at the time. The same kind of gifts we see in the Acts period. But what makes them so unique, those two different periods, is the kingdom is being offered. So the Acts period should not be considered normative for us today. A lot of people say, well, they did it in Acts. Why shouldn't we do it today? It's a unique time period for a couple of reasons. Like I said, there are apostles and prophets. That's the first unique characteristic of that time. The second thing is the gospel is being preached to the Jew first. Now, a lot of people think, oh, well, that means we should preach to the Jew first today. Now, in a sense, the gospel does pertain to the Jews in a special way because obviously Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. However, we don't preach the same message that Jesus and the apostles did in its entirety. So they did preach what we would understand as Gentiles, the gospel, grace through faith. That's how salvation comes to us. Believe in Jesus Christ and you'll receive everlasting life. You read the gospel of John. Jesus clearly preached that throughout his ministry. His disciples did too. But there was another layer on top of that, that if the Jews would have repented nationally, then God would have brought the kingdom. And so that's an element that most people don't understand. And that's what we're going to unpack today. So the first passage we're going to look at is Matthew 3, verses 1 through 3. So if somebody would turn and get that one. I've already got marked in my Bible Malachi 3 because that goes along with Matthew 3. And then if someone gets Matthew 3, can someone get Mark 1 verses 14 through 15? I got Mark. Okay. I'm getting Matthew. Jill's got Matthew. I mean, she does. <laughs> Scott's got Mark. I mean, yes. The Matster. The Matthew. The Matthew. So, well, my Matthew's at home. That's what I'm talking about. Oh. I get Yeah, I'm not following these jokes. Sorry, got a one-track mind here. Uh, read Matthew 3, 1 through 3 for me. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Good. So John the Baptist is the first guy to announce the kingdom. This is significant mm -hmm. because there was a period of silence for 400 years, no prophets. The next thing they expected was God to end his silence with a bang. So they believed that once again, the gift of prophecy would be resumed, but they were looking to the Messiah coming. So when John the Baptist preaches, he's not saying, hey, I'm just another prophet in the string of prophets. I am that final prophet before the Messiah shows mm. up, before the Messianic age begins. So what did they understand about this Messiah when they heard the word kingdom, when they thought of him as king, what was in their mind and were they wrong? So they were wrong about certain things, but they were not wrong about what the kingdom meant. So in Malachi three, when talking about John the Baptist, it says, behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. By the way, the word messenger there is equally um, translatable as angel, even the angel of the covenant, the angel of the Lord, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap, 
and he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. So if you take all that together, what it seems to be saying is that the messenger comes preparing the way for another messenger. This messenger is the messenger of the covenant. He is the Lord coming to his temple. Notice that the Lord will come to his temple. So whoever John the Baptist is preparing the way for, we know that person is clearly identified in Malachi 3 as the Lord, the angel of the covenant, the son of God. This person we talked about on a Wednesday night recently uh, about the preexistence of Jesus. That person is being talked about. The one who filled the temple with his glory, he's coming back to it. Now, the people who lived in Jesus' day had the second temple. The second temple was not filled with the glory of God. The angel of the Lord was not resting over the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant wasn't there. And so you have a temple. God blesses it. It was part of Israel's worship. They were expected to continue keeping the law and making their sacrifices, but it wasn't quite what the first temple was. So when they heard this promise, they thought that God's going to restore his glory to the temple. He's going to return and he's going to be enthroned above the cherubim again. They weren't wrong about that because in Ezekiel, it literally describes Jesus as the glory of the Lord filling the millennial temple. Uh, and so when you read all this together, it runs together. We really don't see any gap here. Um, where the Messiah is rejected and the kingdom is postponed and we have the church age. We don't really see that here. That's why when we get to Matthew 13, you're going to see it's called the mystery of the kingdom. The mystery is something that God was aware of. He knew about it. It was part of his will, part of his plan. But earthside, people were not aware of it. So from God's perspective, it's all planned. So the cross is not... It's not a, a plan B. It was part of the original plan. But from the perspective of the people in the first century that heard John preaching, when he was talking about the kingdom, repent so the kingdom can come, so you can as an individual be in the kingdom, they understood the kingdom in the same terms that we're reading here in Malachi. They're thinking millennium. Mm -hmm. They're thinking 1,000-year reign. They're thinking about Jerusalem being the center of human activity and Christ being enthroned there. They weren't wrong in that. That will happen in the future. The reason, though, that it has not happened is because they rejected their Messiah. Yep. Now, someone might say at this point, well, if they would have accepted Jesus, then would he have still gone to the cross? That's one of those what if questions that's sort of mm. besides the point, because he knew that they wouldn't. Right. He, he would have to go to the he cross. Had to go to the cross he, to absolutely. Understand. He had to go to the cross. So, so but the, even if. Even if they did accept him, the Romans would still have killed him. Yes, there, there could have been some way to resolve right. that. But from my perspective, um, the way I'm thinking of it, it's God knew that they weren't going to accept him. And so this really isn't a problem. Mm -hmm. God's not thinking, oh, what happens if they accept him? Well, then the cross kind of, okay, I got to work that out some other way here. You know, the Jews won't be doing it. So, yeah. so that wasn't something that God had to work out last minute, okay, because he knew in his eternal foreknowledge that they were going to reject Jesus. But that doesn't change the fact that the offer was genuine all the same. So when he gave them the offer of the kingdom, he did know that they were not going to accept it. And I think that's another uh, thing that's illustrated by John the Baptist and his identity. So John the Baptist denied that he was Elijah. Now, I've heard some Christians say, well, he denied it, but he really was. 
I don't think so. I think when he denies that he's Elijah, he's saying, I'm not Elijah. I'm not Elijah. And he was right. Uh, I think that he was right. of Elijah. So he came in the spirit and power of Elijah, as it says in Luke. But when Jesus says, this is Elijah, he says, this is Elijah, if you would have it. Mm. If. There's a big word there that's missed. If. So if the Jews would have been in that state of repentance, that one day they will be, then that would be an indication that the kingdom's coming, everything's going to happen, just as it's depicted in Revelation, and Elijah would have been there. But they didn't accept it. So this time around, in the first century, John the Baptist was like Elijah. He foreshadows Elijah. He has the same prophetic gift of Elijah. And he's parallel to the Elijah who I believe will come in Revelation. But because the Jews rejected Jesus then, he actually isn't the literal fulfillment of Elijah coming. And that was my question. The two witnesses, if that's literally Elijah. I think it's literally, literally Elijah. He's literally and coming and ushering yes. in the kingdom. So I think that it's sort of like the first time God didn't give him Elijah. Why didn't he give him Elijah? Because he knew that they were going to reject the kingdom anyways. But the next time around, whenever he offers the kingdom to them again, they will be in a position to accept it. He knows their hearts. He knows what will happen. And so he sends them Elijah then. I think he sends them Moses too. But Mm -hmm. Elijah in particular we're talking about because Malachi's prophecy refers to Elijah in in the last chapter. Mm -hmm. Um, It actually, so we have chapter three talks about a messenger. It doesn't mention him by name, just says a messenger. But in Malachi four, it does mention Elijah in verse five. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And thus uh, ends the Old Testament. Yes, and thus ends the Old Testament, right? <laughs> Whew, that's some ending right there. But I, I personally believe that both of these prophecies, uh, while they're parallel to each other, they are distinct. I think chapter 3, reading back into the Old Testament what we know, because prophecy has mm. already been fulfilled to a right. great extent. So when we're reading Malachi 3... I think there's this mystery gap that Jesus will elaborate to his disciples, but he does not give up front when he starts preaching because he follows up uh, John the Baptist, as we'll read in Mark just a minute. When he starts preaching, he carries on the preaching of the kingdom. There's no such thing as this spiritual kingdom, this invisible kingdom. He's talking to them in a, in a Jewish manner from a prophetic standpoint, Mm -hmm. this kingdom that you've been looking forward to deliverance, the restoration of the earth, even. All right, that's what he's talking about when he preaches the kingdom. However, they do reject him as Matthew 11 and especially 12 illustrate. Then you get to chapter 13. He says, these people are hardened their hearts. So now I'm going to start teaching in parables. It will conceal the truth from the people that are hardened. For the people who are seeking the truth and who are open to God's word, like the disciples, they will be able to understand these things and it will give them insight into what God's doing. Of course, that insight came little by little, right? They didn't get it all up front. But when you read what Jesus has to say about the kingdom in Matthew 13, it's something different than what we find in Isaiah or Ezekiel when they're talking mm-hmm. about the millennium. It's not the same thing because it talks about these people existing side by side. You got, you know, believers and you got the unbelievers. And it's during a time where you're not to pluck up the tares or pluck right. out the tares yeah. as, as one of the kingdom pair. Jamie, Jamie, shh. as one of the kingdom parable teaches the the wheat and the tares, you're not to pluck up 
the tares because you might right. accidentally get the wheat. Right. And so we have existing side by side believers and unbelievers. That's where we are right now. Yes. So the kingdom is in its mystery form. You could say um, it's, it's not fully fulfilled or realized yet. Kingdom citizens live right now. So we're ambassadors for the kingdom, mm-hmm. but it hasn't come yet and it won't come until the harvest. So that's not something that we see in Ezekiel and in Isaiah it wasn't a, a an extended time period where you had, you know, wickedness over here and you have the believing remnant over here and and mankind's characterized by sin, but God's got his people down there and they're being witnesses and representing his name. Um when you get to the kingdom, righteousness dominates because justice goes out from Jerusalem because Christ is reigning on the throne. Mm-hmm. And the right. devil's bound. That's right. So right now we're in that interim stage that he elaborates on in Matthew 13. And so that's called a mystery, uh, not in the sense that it was a mystery at the time that he was sharing it with him. He was obviously revealing stuff and not concealing it from his disciples. But the Greek word mystery is Mm -hmm. mysterion, and it it sounds like mystery because it's related. But in the way it's used in the New Testament, if you do a word study, it refers to something that was previously hidden, but is now revealed. So when he starts saying, I'm telling you now about the mystery, he's saying, I am revealing to you something that I did not reveal to the prophets. Mm -hmm. And that's what Paul talks about a ton. He talks about the mystery of godliness. He talks about the mystery of the rapture, the mystery of the church age, the mystery, mystery, mystery. This is stuff Paul's saying, no, we didn't know about this. Mm -hmm. It's not that it wasn't hinted at in the old Testament. I think the rapture is hinted at. I think the church is hinted at. I think that there are references there that when we, from a new Testament perspective, read the light bulb comes on, we get it. But the people who read it then it was not revealed fully enough Hmm. for them to understand it as we do. So when in the new Testament talks about a mystery, it's one of those light bulb moments. Oh, okay. So you're telling me Jesus that the kingdom will come, but you're doing something different now. The Jews have rejected you, so you've got something else you're going to do in the meantime, and then later we're going to see all that we saw. That's what happened in Acts chapter 1 when right. the disciples are talking to Jesus. like, okay, well, is now that time? Right? Yeah, the Jews yeah, have rejected yeah, yeah. you, and you've come back from the dead. Um, that little gap that you were talking about, is it going to last any longer, or are you going to bring in the kingdom right now? And he's like, it's not for you to know how long this gap's going to last. You just do your job. Preach the Great Commission. Okay, and that goes back to those parables. You have the people that are sowing the good seed. We're sharing the gospel and we have a division of mankind, believers and unbelievers. And it will be like that until the kingdom finally comes. But the reason it didn't come in the first century is because they rejected Jesus. So somebody read whoever had Mark 1 verses 14 through 15. Read that. After John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So what was the gospel there? The gospel was not his death, burial, and resurrection. Right. Because he has not revealed those things. He wouldn't even reveal that to his closest disciples until later. later on, yeah. And so here he's not saying, believe that I'm going to die for your sins and rise again. Should they have known about these things? They had that information in the Old Testament. When Jesus began to reveal it, because of the culture at the time and what they had been conditioned to believe, it would have been hard for them to believe it, but they should have been willing to believe it, given that it had already been stated in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. Okay. But that wasn't something that was on their radar. Um, 
And unfortunately, whenever Jesus does reveal it, even his own disciples, it goes right over their head. Yeah. Uh, they're willfully blinded. They don't want to accept it. Um, at the very least, they're very confused. But here, when he's preaching the kingdom and the gospel, the gospel is the kingdom is about to be here. Okay. And it's contingent. It's conditioned on what you do. So if you repent, you're God's people. He's not going to bring the kingdom if you're not repenting and you're not right with him. So if you're not in fellowship with God, the kingdom won't come. Right. Now, there was two elements to this. One was a corporate element. So if the people as a whole repented, then the kingdom will come. Now, what happens, let's say, if, you know, two thirds refuse to repent? But then you have one third or less than that, like actually happened in the first century, say, yeah. and they believe. How does the kingdom pertain to them? Well, because they believed in Jesus for everlasting life, they are assured kingdom entrance. And so there's overlap here. There's a corporate element to this, which deals with the nation's response. And then there's the individual response. It kind of goes back to um, Joshua and Caleb. Yes, Absolutely how they got interest entrance to the promised land and all the others didn't. Uh -huh. And that's what we're going to talk about at the end. Oh, uh, <laughs> Numbers 13. You're right. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, Kedesh Barnea. So Joshua and Caleb, it's like, you will be there. Like we, I, it's not going to happen right now. Okay. So I know you'd like to go in there right now. Like you have the faith, you want to be in there, but you're going to have to wait. And that's what God tells people then in the first century. And what he tells us now, he says, okay, the kingdom's not coming right now. You know why? Because the people corporately have rejected Jesus. However, if you believe in Jesus, if you're a repentant like Joshua and Caleb, then you can be sure that you will be in it when it finally arrives. But you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait until the nation of Israel repents. This is so important because the Bible makes it crystal clear that the Jews have to repent before the kingdom comes. They have mm -hmm. to repent. We're all waiting on the Jews to repent. Now, I don't have to wait on them to get saved. And I don't have to wait on them for the rapture either, because the rapture could or, happen at any time. Or to die and go to heaven. Or to die and go to heaven. Like, I know that all of these things are mine. They're privileges that I possess because of grace through faith alone and Christ alone. But as far as when the kingdom will arrive on earth... I know I'm going to heaven, but when will the kingdom arrive on earth? The Jews have to repent. And we're seeing fruit of it now. We're seeing in the Messianic movement already a taste of what's to come. So if people were to say, is there any evidence that the kingdom is closer now than it was, let's say, even a couple hundred years ago? Yes. Jews for Jesus. The Jews for Jesus. Aerial ministries. Israel uh, was it uh, one for Israel? Chosen yes. people ministries. Chosen people ministries. These things are signs that the repentance corporately of Israel is coming soon. And we are so close. Yeah. For 2,000 years nearly, you have one Jew here get saved, yeah. one Jew there. It was almost, it was, shh, Jamie, it was almost non-existent yeah. among the Jewish community to find Christians, the a Christian converts. Were on their eyes, and now the scales are falling and off. And now they're falling off. So don't tell me we're not close to the kingdom. Yeah, amen. Because the kingdom will come when the Jews repent, and they're repenting already. Okay, yeah. but it's little bit by little bit. There needs to be more. There has to be a corporate as a whole. That doesn't mean everyone has to repent, but as a whole, they have to. I have a great idea. 
called 144,000 guys going out and yeah. telling them all. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so and, I was going to say that one for Israel, it, it, it is, it's really refreshing. It's, it's wonderful to watch how the Jewish people are digging in and saying all these, the, the, the anti, um, what are they called? Anti-missionaries. Yes. Right. Yeah. You know, the, uh-huh are wrong and they're saying no look here here and here and they're saying even these old rabbis pre i forget what the guy's name is rashi maybe uh-huh. um yeah they're saying rashi's wrong look what everybody else is saying about this like they went through psalm 2 last night i watched it mm-hmm. it was it was amazing because we don't we don't understand the nuance the, the, the nuances of 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 the of the there's the sorry <laughs> of the, fine, of <laughs> the um we don't understand the nuances of the, language. the Hebrew, Hebrew language. Yeah. Right. And they do. And it's like, man. And, and they also, so deep. they also have access to something that we don't, even if there were Gentile Hebrew scholars, which there have been, right. uh, at least starting in the 1500s Hebrew, yeah. there was a Renaissance, but, um, uh, as far as rabbinic studies, yes, they are familiar with their own teachers and we are not. So, how did these teachers deal with Jesus in the New Testament? Is it like there's been no thought? They've not considered these things. They've not mm. interacted with them. They actually have. And that's what these people in the Messianic movement can can do. They can show you, oh, well, the rabbis, exactly. they say this. They did some like, gymnastics it, to avoid it, this. They, exactly. Yeah. Like, look at how they handled Isaiah 53 and Daniel yes, 9. Right. And to me... When you look at the rabbinic response to Christianity with Isaiah 53 in mind and Daniel 9, it makes the Christian case even stronger yeah. because you can tell, like you said, Christy, they're scrambling. Mm-hmm. They're trying to find some way to keep people in the synagogue and not join Christianity. Yeah. And you see that starting in the second century. So when you when you study, like the Talmud's been around this whole time and the Midrash has been around this whole mm-hmm. time, but Christians just really haven't looked into it they haven't studied it um and so messianic jews are saying look at what the jews were saying in the second That's century right. look at how they were reacting to christianity look at how they changed their own calendar exactly to get around prophecies pointing to jesus and so that's what's so awesome, I think, yeah. about Messianic Judaism. They are taking apologetics to the next level. Amen. Um yeah. but again it all assumes that the kingdom was offered particularly to the Jews. Yeah. as God's chosen people. And a lot of Christians, they don't believe that. Mm. They're not as excited as we are about the Messianic movement. And that's because they don't think the Jews are There's God's people. Yeah. Yeah, so they sad. think, oh, we shouldn't get any more excited about the Jews getting saved as we should about these other people getting saved. Well, like, no, no, no. A- as far as their individual <laughs> souls go, they're equally right. valuable in the eyes of the Lord. Yes. But when it comes to eschatology in the end times, the Jews are the key piece. Yes. But that group, the same group of people doesn't care because they've already done away with all of that too. Yes. The Christians. Yes. The, the Re- Christians. Yes. Especially the Reformed community. Uh, no Catholics. Have, it's not just Reformed. Catholics have done the same thing. Eastern Orthodox. Replace, replacement theology is the mainstream view. Yeah. So among evangelicals are already in the minority. And now the minority within evangelicals is this view that we're talking about here, that Israel is important. Israel is special. And I, and I have conversations with people that, uh, you know, I see eye to eye with them when it comes to like salvation, but when it comes to this issue, they just, it doesn't click to them mm. that why is Israel so important still? Like they rejected Jesus. So why are they still important to him? Well, 
they're a perfect illustration of grace. That's what I always Amen. go back to. They've rejected God, but God has not rejected them. And there's no greater comfort in the world to me Amen. when it comes to my salvation is that if God still holds on to Israel in a special sense, if they're still his people, then he's going to hold on to me even when I prove unfaithful. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that being part of God's physical people entitles you to spiritual blessings. Exactly. Right. You have to believe in Jesus. So we're talking again about how God has preserved the nation on earth. Yep. We're not talking about their individual salvation. So individually, they do have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven. Yes. Okay. So if you're a Jew and you're listening to this, being Jewish does not give you entrance into the kingdom. Read what John the Baptist had to say. In Matthew chapter three about being children of Abraham. He made that crystal clear. Exactly. But the nation physically, ethnically as descendants of Abraham, they are entitled to being uh, preserved as a people. And, uh, and and as such, God has provided for their safety and security and given them their land back. So all of these are things that they have from God, even if they don't deserve them. Mm. Uh, And again, that illustrates grace in a perfect way. Um, now let's look at Matthew 10. Now, to me, Matthew 10 has got to make Reformed and Catholics and Orthodox people squirm. Mm. Because if you think that Jesus came and he's teaching replacement theology, then you're you're definitely mistaken. Because look at uh, Matthew 10, and I'm not going to read every single verse here because it talks about the disciples and who they were paired up with when they went out. Uh, let's start in verse number... Um, five, it says, then Jesus, uh, sent forth the 12 and commanded them saying, go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils freely. ye have received freely give. Now stop right there, but notice in verse number five, he says, go not into the way of the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. You cannot, no matter how hard you try, take this and make it applicable today for Gentile believers. This is a unique first century commission that Jesus gives. He says, I don't even want you to get near the Gentiles. Go straight to Israel. Now that's what it means when Paul says to the Jew first and then to the Greek. That means that in his day, they were still giving priority and they had opened up the gospel to the Gentiles. They're, they're fulfilling the great commission. It's already, I think, being made apparent that God's plan is going differently than was expected. Okay. So we have this interim period, but God still in his grace, giving them another 40 years. He knows they won't accept it, but he's given them another 40 from 30 AD to 70 AD is a time of testing. And during that time, Paul consistently would go to the Jewish synagogue first in any town that he went to Jew first. Preach the kingdom. Now, corporately, again, this applies to the nation. If they as a whole accept that the kingdom will come individually, if they want a place in the coming kingdom, whether it arrives soon or it arrives in 2000 years, if you want to be in that kingdom, when it arrives, you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Okay. But Matthew chapter 10 shows us that the kingdom offer is to the Jews only. So if every Gentile in the world, okay, this is extreme, but if every Gentile in the world accepted Jesus and said, come Lord, come, he would not come unless the majority of the Jewish people said come to. Mm. That is what, it's not holding God back. This is God's will. It's God's plan. Uh, But God has set that condition. 
And so that's why I get excited when I see Jews coming to Jesus, because it means that condition is closer to being met and the mm -hmm. kingdom is right around the corner. And if the kingdom is around the corner, uh, it's safe to assume that the rapture is around the corner. Yeah. Now, since the rapture is distinct from the Jewish program, uh, it, hypothetically, the rapture could happen and then 100 years could go by before the kingdom. I doubt that's the case. OK, uh, the way I see it in scripture, the way I see it in terms of things happening right now, things coming into place. I think that the gap between the rapture and the coming of the kingdom is going to be a narrow one. Right. Uh, but hypothetically, uh, categorically, the rapture and the kingdom, they are distinct because one pertains to uh, the church. That's the rapture. And another pertains to the kingdom. That's the Jews. But I think they do, you know, approximate each other in terms of time because uh, of the way things are playing out. But the point is, this kingdom offer was given to the Jews. Now, if it was given in the first century and it was taken back in 70 AD, whenever they were scattered and God judged them because Jesus's prophecy was fulfilled, not a stone will be left unturned. Right. The temple is destroyed. It says they'd be scattered to all the nations. Now notice, isn't that a prophecy mm -hmm. in the Isaiah passages and Ezekiel about God regathering the nations yep. back right. out? So in Luke, it particularly says that the Jews will be scattered until the time of the Gentiles complete. is complete. So that means from 70 AD until now, right now really, uh, we're seeing the Jews starting to come back. All right. We're seeing at least the Western Gentiles going away. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so we see the time of yes, Christianity yeah. being essentially Gentile and population. Um, the, at least the number of people who believe that is starting to cease and in Greatly, the church quickly. Yes. And in the tribulation, the majority of the Gentile world will be unbelieving. The majority of the Jewish world will be believing. So yeah. we're going to see a huge flip-flop. We've been so used to the Jews being marginalized, not yeah. being believers, being persecuted. It's going to be a complete switch. Well, they'll still be persecuted, but yeah. <laughs> yes, but in, in the king, when the kingdom no, comes, I, yeah. yeah no, we just... were talking earlier, have you noticed in the last six months that the degradation of the culture and the attacks on, like, just regular people attacking Christianity and, you know, Sky Daddy and all of that stuff, amping up and people just being meaner and uglier to each other. Like it's speeding up. Yes. Yeah. And, and the Western, like you said, it's the Western world. The Western world has been the center of Christianity and evangelism to the rest of the world. Like mm -hmm. we've been the mission hub. Yeah. Um, and of course, thankfully in a lot of countries like China, for example, uh, when the seeds were planted in the late 1800s, they're taking those and they're running with it. Yes. And you see tons of growth there. But it 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 really all started there in Western Europe. That Christian civilization, I think, is the reason why these countries became so powerful and so influential. Yes. We're losing our influence. The question is why? Western civilization is built on Christianity. When you reject Christianity, Western civilization crumbles. And we've been in the process of that ever since the Age of Enlightenment. Yes. In the Age of Enlightenment, the cracks were just appearing because the majority of people still, philosophically, scientifically, they had a Christian worldview. But again, starting in the 1800s, really, with uh, evolution and German rationalism, the cracks start getting bigger. Now, America, they were still pretty small because we had a strong population of people. We had we had Great Awakenings mm -hmm. that stirred the country up. But the seeds were already planted. But Yes. Um, but 
we started to see in the uh, early 1900s uh, with evolution kind of coming over here for the first time and really making inroads. So people were aware of it, by the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, the 1800s in America, we but were aware of it. But the schools weren't teaching But it. yeah, it, it wasn't something that had really made headway. Most churches over here weren't affected by it. But in the 1900s, we start to see evolutions becoming dominant in the school system. Churches are starting to give way. Today, most Christians perhaps would have no problem with evolution as long as you say God's the one who's causing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's just a hop, skip, and a jump from a whole another host of problems. Uh, a lot of people that compromise on that area, they're compromising on gender, they're compromising on sexuality, they're compromising on whether or not the Bible's inerrant. So we're starting to see, even in the Christian evangelical world, uh, those cracks appearing. Yeah. And that's the Laodicean church. So really, if you're listening to this, I hope that it's all coming together for you. When you look at the Bible... Um, and you understand prophecy correctly, you understand the kingdom correctly, and the Jewish people, and and their role in all this, then you're going to look at the world as it is today, and you're going to say, whoa, all right, the time of the Gentiles is almost run its course. How long it will be, I don't know, but I don't think it's going to be really long. I mean, I don't think we're going to last hundreds of years at this point. Um, I mean, think of America. Mm. I mean, America is going downhill. And how long have we really even been a nation? 1776 wasn't very long ago when you think about it. No. You know, compared 246 to, years ago. Compared to empires. <laughs> compared to empires, it, it's not something um, that we but can really long, brag about. Yeah. So, an empire lasted, what, 500? I'm guessing, kind of. It, it lasted, I don't know the exact number either. Hold on, but let me ask Mr. Google. I think no, they, I think they started in... Um, so just... Well, I'm not even going to try BC guessing. BC, maybe, and then, you know, when did they basically end? Um, it was founded in 625 BC, and it oh, fell right. in 476 AD. There you have but it. If, but they really came to power, though. It was founded then, but... The first Caesar was first century, Caesar Augustus. So that was when the empire was at its strongest, right. the Pax Romana. It um, from like, from the very beginning to the very end was a little over a thousand years. Yeah. And so we haven't That's got a any, long time. I know we haven't got anywhere near yet. That's and, a really and you see long how time. fast we're disappearing um, in, in terms of our influence and our morals. Um, so anyways, Matthew 10 shows that it's announced to the Jews only. Um, it's rejected by the minority or sorry, uh, majority in uh, Matthew 12 verses 38 through 45. And I would encourage you to look up these verses, but I'm going to summarize them for you right now. Uh, Jesus was performing the miracle of exorcism. He was casting out demons. And when he did that, it was a powerful display that the kingdom of God had come upon them. They, they could see it themselves. But when they rejected it, he said, that's blasphemy, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, and it says in verse number 32, whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall not be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not, uh, sorry, I think I misread that. Whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, either in the world to come. Now, as far as the individual is concerned, this is talking about rejecting the Holy Spirit's conviction unto Mm -hmm. salvation. If you harden your heart to where you're not willing to listen to God when he speaks the gospel to your heart and when he provides evidence too. In this case, I mean, the evidence they saw is greater than anything I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Um, If you harden your heart to that, then... It's an unforgivable sin because you're refusing to be forgiven. Um, the only unforgivable sin is refusing forgiveness. Uh, but when it says the, the sin against the Son of Man will be forgiven means if you were to look at Jesus 
And if it was just Jesus, let's not talk about his miracles. If he's just going around preaching the kingdom and you're like, Psh, whatever, and you dismiss him, that was forgivable because you're just rejecting him because he is this guy making a big claim and he's not backing it up. He's just a human being, mm -hmm. okay, a guy claiming to be a prophet or maybe more, and um, he's not backing it up. However, if you refuse to believe the signs that Jesus did, he said, don't just believe me because I'm saying it. Believe the signs that I'm doing. If you refuse those too, now you're not rejecting Jesus as a man. You're rejecting him as he's demonstrably the Messiah through the Holy Spirit's conviction and the Holy Spirit's visible manifestation and all these things that are happening, right. like casting out demons. So Woe to you, right? Woe to you. Oh, man, I can. Yes, uh, right. Absolutely. Um, it, sorry, that's in Matthew 11. Right. Uh, but yeah, he talks about Chorazin and Bethsaida. Yeah. And so they had seen the, these all, all these miracles. And he said if Sodom and Gomorrah, if they would have seen him. Exactly. They would have repented. Mm -hmm. They've been sackcloth and ashes. And as far as that uh, that passage and the philosophical concept involved with it, like, yeah. you know, why doesn't God give them that information? Like, why didn't he give those miracles to Sodom and Gomorrah if they would have repented? That subject I've been researching and studying and... Uh, I'm going to teach you a lesson on that soon, mm. but I don't want to get off track. Sure. Uh, but anyways, the point is Matthew 12 demonstrates that they have committed this sin, uh, this unforgivable sin. Right. So, and it's really represented in the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the leaders of the people represented the whole. So if they will not accept the miracles of Jesus, then those who follow them, you know, they're following the blind guides. Mm -hmm. They're not going to accept it either. And that's why Jesus said in this chapter, if you are not for me, you are against me. And who is not gathering with me is scattering before me. Now, yeah, what does yeah. that mean? It means that you're supposed to be following me like these disciples and gathering the lost sheep of Israel. Mm -hmm. But instead, you are scattering them. Mm. You are the corrupt shepherds. So you are leaders of the people and they're following you. But you're leading them into a ditch mm. because you're blind yourself. I see a lot of that today. Absolutely. I was just going to say, talk about blind guides. Man, if we hadn't seen that recently. Yeah. We see it politically. We see it in the church. Mm -hmm. But uh, in chapter 13, uh, look with me there. And we'll wrap it up uh, with a couple verses in Acts and Romans. So I think we've covered just about all we need to cover today. But in Matthew 13... Uh, verse number 10, it says, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing, uh, they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, by hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand and seeing ye shall see and not perceive for this people's heart is wax gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes. They have closed lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted. And I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. That's amazing. I mean, those verses right there, yeah. there's so much. I mean, that's definitely preachable. <laughs> but uh, needless to say, the disciples were the minority. 
their hearts were soft. They recognized Jesus' identity. And so God gave them more revelation than he gave to the other people because the other people weren't willing to even listen to him. They weren't willing to receive it. So he gives them parables. And, uh, you know, Jesus does explain a number of these parables to them. But these kingdom parables include the, the parable of the sower, uh, the parable of the wheat and the tares, the parable of the fishes, uh, the parable of the, uh, the mustard tree. Mustard seed uh, and the yeast. It, the yeah. grain of mustard seed, which man took and sowed in his field. Uh, it's the least of all these seeds. When it's grown, it becomes greatest mm. among the herbs and becometh a tree. And so that's another parable. Uh, these parables are all depicting this gap age where you have uh, alongside each other believers and unbelievers until one day the harvest comes and God separates them out. So he's saying this is what you can expect. So what you know from Isaiah and Ezekiel is this kingdom with the Messiah reigning and his justice is absolute. But what you're going to see now is what was hidden in the past. It was a mystery. It was not elaborated on, but I'm giving you that information now because you're my disciples and you're willing to hear it. And so the mystery of the kingdom has to do with that interim age. He even says um, at the beginning of all of these parables, except the parable of the sower, but at the beginning of all the others, he says the kingdom of heaven is likened. The kingdom of heaven is like this. So this right. is the kingdom now. This is the way things are going to go now that the people have rejected me. And in Luke, he gives other parables that give us more information about how the the son of the king or uh, the master of the house, he goes right. away. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, goes yeah, to yeah. another country. He goes right. to a wedding feast and, and then he returns. returns. So these are interim parables. Like this is not what you'd expect. Like you're thinking I'm here kingdom. All right, yeah, let's yeah, get started. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to happen because they've rejected me. All right. Mm -hmm. Matthew 12, they've committed the blasphemy of the Holy spirit. So I'm going to leave. There's going to be an interim age. He doesn't disclose how long. And then I'm going to come back. That's when the harvest begins. That's when I separate things out. So this is key. A lot of people, they don't understand huh. that these parables were given only after they rejected the kingdom offer, which was clearly proclaimed. Like he doesn't proclaim the kingdom in parables. Mm. I mean, he proclaimed it. John did first. And then Jesus proclaims it. And the people rejected it. They rejected him. And so he switches and he does something new. He starts teaching in parables and he's teaching a new revelation that he hadn't explained before. Interesting. Um, now in Acts chapter three, let's look there. And this one shows that the kingdom offer was extended for 40 years. So after Jesus dies and he comes back from the dead and goes to heaven, I do believe that God gave him another 40 years. I think that the disciples were preaching uh, to the, the Jew first. Uh, that they had a similar commission that they did in Matthew 10. Uh, Matthew 10, it was to the Jews only. Now it's to the Jew first. But it, the kingdom offer is still being extended. Um, some dispensationalists don't believe this. They're divided on it. I've read a number of them who think that the 40 years between the death of Christ and the destruction of Jerusalem, that that was an additional extension, you could say. Other people deny. They think that the kingdom offer wasn't given again. But I think that Acts 3.20 does a good job of proving that it was given again. And this is Peter preaching. Um, I'll look at verse 19 first with you. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus, which before was preached unto you, whom heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God had spoken by the mouth of his holy prophet since the world began. So he's saying, verse number 19, repent and be converted and your sins will be blotted out 
when, okay, this tells us when, Mm -hmm. when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. The natural reading of this in the English as well as in the Greek is if you repent and you are converted, then you will be forgiven when Messiah comes. So you're not going to have to wait on him. If you as a nation repented, he would come and he would blot out your sins by personally appearing and accepting you into his kingdom. In fact, bringing the kingdom on the earth, just as your prophets of old has have told you about. Um, however, we know how this went. There was a minority of people who repented. I mean, you have 2000 here and 3000 there, but I mean, what's 5,000 right. to the whole nation of Israel that lived in the land and then the diaspora. You know, you have right. Paul going into these synagogues preaching like he was offering the kingdom even outside the nation. And I think that's maybe another reason why the offer was extended hmm. because you have Jews have represented out there. Yeah. Like you have people who are preaching the kingdom in Judea, but what about everywhere else? What about all those synagogues and in, in Italy and Asia Minor and Greece and even as far as Spain? Uh, the kingdom offers not being preached there. I think that's why God gave him another 40 years because you have people like Paul. And the other disciples who are going to Europe and they're going to these synagogues and they're preaching the same message to these dispersed Jews. And uh, Romans 1.16, again, this is one of those things where you have to rightly divide God's word. Is he saying that this pertains to now? And Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, if you were a Jew in the first century, what are the benefits you would receive from believing? None. Uh, so you would receive no benefits in terms in, of in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of the community you lived so in, but in terms of, you know, the Holy spirit, you'd receive the same as a Gentile. Mm-hmm. So there's no difference as far as the Holy spirit, as far as forgiveness and eternal life and being born again. Okay. So in that aspect, as Paul could say in Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Greek. You have the same blessings. You're part of God's church, the bride, the heavenly people of God. There's no division among them. Mm. Okay. However, why does he say to the Jew first? Because that seems to contradict slightly what he says in Galatians when he says there's neither Jew nor Greek. Right. Why are you saying to the Jew first here? Okay. It's because the Jews were given a special opportunity that, like I said, Gentiles don't have. They never have had. They don't have today and they never will. And that is... We, through our repentance, we will receive the blessings of being part of God's people by re- believing in the gospel, we'll be born again, we'll be saved. As we faithfully serve him, we'll have rewards and treasures stored up in heaven. But no matter how many Gentiles repent, that will not bring in the kingdom. They had the special privilege, the Jews did, of repenting and seeing the kingdom actualized. It didn't happen. They refused. But Paul is still being just, and he's giving them that offer first to the Jew first. Now, obviously, let's say somebody repents in terms of like the Mosaic law. Let's say go back to the Old Testament. So they stop, they remove idols. Okay. They didn't really have a problem with that, you know, in the first century among the Jews. You know, they they still believed in abstaining from idols. And, you know, those Gentiles are pagan. Well, let's say they, they were so legalistic. They were, absolutely. So let's say they. They changed their ways, okay? They were taking care of the fatherless and the widows, and, and they were, you know, obeying the heart of the law. They had to believe in Jesus, okay? So those things are really connected in that they were so legalistic, so trusting in their self-righteousness, 
that it was leading them to be stuck up and they weren't showing love to people. I think the mm -hmm. best way to learn how to show grace to people is to understand grace for yourself. And of course they didn't understand grace for themselves, did they? Because mm. they were trying to earn salvation by works. So it all goes back to the and line of themselves thinking they were keeping the law. Like the rich that, ruler. that's right. They thought they did. So it all comes back to, if you really want to repent and turn your life around for God and please God, you have to get saved first. Okay. The, the fruits of repentance, um, they all go back to receiving Jesus as your savior. And so, um, this is what I was talking about with some people online and they got really confused by it. And I said, it is a little confusing. Um, when we talk about the gospel, what do we mean to the Jew? The gospel would have a couple different layers. Uh, the gospel would be believe in Jesus and be saved. And if my countrymen do the same, then the kingdom will come. It's a little bit different than the Gentiles. For them, it's more individual. I believe mm. in the gospel and I'm saved. And if my countrymen believe, well, they'll be saved too. But it doesn't really have yeah, yeah, yeah. anything right. to do with the end times. The worldwide right? bearing there. So the good news is slightly different for the Jews. But when it comes to being a member of the church, being a part of the body, it's the same. And I think that, guys, once the millennium has run its course, I don't believe that in the eternal state, the Jews are going to be raised above all the other ethnicities. Um, I think that what we see in the eternal state in the New Jerusalem is that we're talking now about the heavenly Jerusalem. Right. We're talking about the heavenly people of God. The earthly Jerusalem and the earthly Israelites were patterned after the heavenly Jerusalem and patterned after the church of God. And so you can be part of God's earthly people, Israel and not be part of the heavenly people and the heavenly people are both made up of Jews and Gentiles. So mm. if that makes any sense, um, I think that whenever you're studying prophecy, whenever you're studying the Jews and how they fit into things, it can get a little confusing. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't deny that. Um, but I think the problem with a lot of people is they don't want to do the work, I guess to kind of, unravel it yeah, you know yeah. to untie the knot uh to them it's too complicated and so they just dismiss the problem and they say okay well the church has replaced israel but god has all those promises he made to israel he has not finished exactly so it may be difficult to untangle some of these things but um it's what scripture presents and that leads us to the last thing i wanted to mention tonight and christy brought it up earlier without even knowing i was going to talk about it but numbers 13 uh the israelites were told to go into the promised land and take it and they refuse to. Mm -hmm. You have Joshua and Caleb who are willing to do it. God promises yeah. you're definitely going to be in there, but yeah. you're going to have to wait. And the rest of the Israelites, Joshua and Caleb included, they had to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. After the 40 years was expired, they were given another chance to go into the promised land. Right. And they took it. They took it. But after the 40 years that God gave, the people of Israel between the ascension of Christ and the destruction of the temple, by the time that that period comes to a close, they didn't, take it. they didn't take it. So what we find in the first century is the opposite of what happened to Kadesh Barnea. Huh. They rejected first, yes. but then they repented yeah, yeah, yeah. after the 40 years of testing in the wilderness. After the 40 years of testing in the first century, they didn't go into the land. Per se. They need seven more years. <laughs> they will get their seven years. They will. And they will respond that time. That um, praise the Lord for that. But guys, that all sets up for 
um, sign gifts like tongues? Do they tie into the kingdom offer? And what I'm going to show you next time we have a lesson in the series is that tongues illustrates that they are connected, that tongues actually specifically pertain to the Jews during that testing period. So once the testing period has come to an end, 70 AD, and that was a long time ago, tongues ran its course and it passed out naturally because it had a particular purpose. I'm not saying it didn't have any other purposes, but it's pro predominant purpose is given by Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, 22. And that's what we'll talk about next time. So thank you for listening. Uh, God bless and have a good night.